This evening's reading is from 2 Corinthians, starting at uh, chapter 2, verse 12. When I came to Troas to preach the gospel of Christ, even though a door was opened to me in the Lord, my spirit was not at rest because I did not find my brother Titus there. So I took leave of them and went to Macedonia. But thanks be to God, who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession through us spreads, and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To one, a fragrance from death to death. To the other, a fragrance from life to life. Who is sufficient for these things? For we are not, like so many, peddlers of God's word, but as men of sincerity, as commissioned by God, in the sight of God we speak in Christ. Are we beginning to commend ourselves again? Or do we need, as some do, letters of recommendation to you or from you. You yourselves are our letter of recommendation, written on our hearts to be known and read by all. And you show that you are a letter from Christ delivered by us, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts, Such is the confidence that we have through Christ towards God. Not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything as coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God, who has made us sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Thank you, James, for reading for us. Uh, I want you to keep that passage open in front of you, please. Uh, But let's pray as we come to study God's Word together. Our Father, we've uh, just seen in that passage that your Word goes to work by your Spirit. And uh, Lord, we pray for ourselves this evening that our hearts would be open, that we would hear your voice, that your Spirit will work in us, And we pray that as we heard this morning uh, in our Hebrews series, that we would not harden our hearts as we hear your voice. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, how can you spot the genuine from the fake? That's an important question for lots of different things, and particularly when it comes to money. So when the banks create new notes and coins, which... Uh, the UK government are going to do fairly soon. Uh, They take great care to make sure that it can be clearly distinguished between what's real and what's fake, between the genuine article and what's counterfeit. So I have here a £5 note. Um, At least I think it's a £5 note. This one my daughter gave to me earlier this evening. She owed me a fiver and uh, she gave me this. And to be honest, I didn't even question whether it was real or not. I just assumed that it was. 
But apparently there are over 10 different marks on a British fiver that prove that it's the real deal. There are holograms and raised print. There are see-through windows, foil patches, colour-changing borders. I didn't know about that one and ultraviolet numbers. And the marks reveal the note's authenticity. You can learn them so you can spot the real deal. That's really important if you're a shopkeeper, for example. And it's important because, well, the real thing carries real value, but the fakes, well, they're completely worthless. Adam, you look pretty trustworthy. Can you take my fiver and look after it? And for me, thank you. The church in Corinth is struggling to tell the difference between what is authentic Christian ministry and what is a counterfeit version. And the reason for that is there are some people who have come along and they're criticizing the Apostle Paul, attacking him and his style of ministry. They're saying that he's untrustworthy and fickle, that he keeps changing his mind, that he keeps going back on his word. They've been saying that he doesn't really love them because he keeps challenging them on their sin. They say that he just wants to exploit them for his own gain. And above all, they say that Paul's ministry of simply teaching God's word and speaking about Jesus... They say, well, that's just really unimpressive. It's weak, and the results that it gets are actually pretty poor. They say, look, if Paul was doing it right, well, then he wouldn't be suffering so much from the authorities, would he? He'd be far more popular if he were doing God's work in God's way. So they're attacking Paul. But at the same time, these detractors claim that their ministry is far better. They're known as super apostles. They are sort of hypercharged and impressive speakers. They have wealth. They have loads of followers, including the backing of some pretty impressive celebrity figures. And they're loved by the culture of the day because, well, their message is tuned into the spirit of the age. They say what people want to hear. These people, they look impressive. They look strong, powerful, and successful. And therefore, the Corinthians are starting to wonder whether in backing Paul, they have backed the wrong horse. The super apostles, they look like a champion racehorse, and Paul looks like an old nag in comparison. Now, Paul hears that this is going on, and he realizes that the stakes are really pretty high. This church that he planted, this church that he loves, could be pulled away from the true gospel. And they could stop being effective for that gospel in the world, as they have been. And so what Paul does, as he begins this section of his letter, it's a slightly new section we begin tonight, he seeks to answer this question. What is authentic Christian ministry? What are the defining marks of the real deal? How do you spot authentic Christian ministry from other kinds of ministry, which look very similar at first glance, but are actually counterfeit? 
just like the good old fiver has several authenticating marks. Well, Paul here shows three marks of authenticity in this passage. These are on the back page of the service sheet, uh, if you'd like to follow uh, that. So what is authentic Christian ministry? Mark 1, it's Christ faithfully preached. This is chapter 2, uh, verse 12 to 17. Now, we discovered last week that Paul's plans had changed. He'd intended to go to Corinth, uh, but he changed his mind, and he'd done so in order to spare them a difficult visit. He knew that if he came to see them, uh, that it would result in a big blow-up. So he didn't go to see them, uh, but he wrote to them instead as it was the best way of showing his love for them. And our passage begins in verse 12 to continue that thread, and and it shows us, well, what happened to Paul when he didn't go to Corinth. He explains, verse 12, I came to Troas to to preach the gospel of Christ. Even though a door was opened for me in the Lord, my spirit was not at rest because I did not find my brother Titus there. So I took leave of them and went on to Macedonia. So Paul went to Troas to preach the gospel of Christ. And that's actually our first mark of authentic Christian ministry. It is proclaiming freely the gospel of Christ to people. Paul actually repeats it in, chapter, in verse 17. For we are not like so many peddlers of God's word, but as men of sincerity, as commissioned by God, in the sight of God we speak in Christ. There is a gospel People need to hear the good news about Jesus. And authentic ministry faithfully proclaims that gospel free of charge to all. Paul says, look, I went to Troas to do just that. And things were really fruitful there. A door of effective ministry had opened there. But what happens next is quite surprising, isn't it? See, despite the fruitfulness of that ministry... Paul says, well, actually, I couldn't stay there. He felt he couldn't stay because he was distressed that Titus hadn't come to see him. You might think, well, why does that matter to him? Well, it's because Titus was bringing him a report of what was going on in Corinth. This interaction that he's been having in the wake of this painful letter that he'd sent them. Paul's waiting for word of that from Titus. But Titus isn't there in Troas, so he goes to Macedonia in the hope of meeting Titus there. Now that's not quite what you'd expect Paul to do. I think you'd expect him, if a door of ministry is opened in Troas, to stay in Troas, wouldn't you? It was a difficult decision to make. And it seems that Paul was really quite conflicted about what he should do. You can see two things, can't you? You can see the gospel opportunity in Troas on the one hand, but Paul also sees the gospel danger in Corinth. And so there are two things he could do, both important. There's no clear way forwards, but he makes the decision, I've got to go and deal with Corinth first. Now, is that the right call? Well, who knows? I mean, sometimes, sometimes there are two options put in front of us, and, and we aren't sure what, what is best. Who knows? Well, it turns out that God knows. Look at what Paul says next in verse 14. But thanks be to God, who in Christ 
always leads us in triumphal procession and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. See, Paul wasn't perhaps sure what to do and he made a call which could have gone either way but he testifies here that in the sovereignty of God as he proclaimed the good news about Jesus everywhere he went he was led by Christ he was led by Christ to be fruitful in the next situation too and Paul here uses a picture he uses the imagery of the Roman triumph so what's that about well when a Roman general won a military campaign he would often return to Rome at the head of a great triumphal procession. So the victorious general, he'd ride on a chariot at the front of the procession as he enters the gates and through the streets of the city. And in his wake come the priests, and they're throwing out incense into the air, his soldiers, and then the spoils of war. So great treasures loaded on carts, wild beasts in cages, and of course, in chains, miserable, stinking, captured enemies. Just imagine that in your minds. The sights, the noise, the cheers of the crowds, the jeers of the crowds. And what Paul picks up on here, the smells. The smells, both good and bad, were part of that experience. Now here's Paul's point. He is like a captive in Christ's victory march in the world. Christ is being glorified, but he is being humiliated. He trails along in the wake of Christ's glory, going from place to place. And everywhere he goes, he's jeered and ridiculed. Yet he faithfully proclaims the gospel, that is, Christ as Lord. And he says, therefore, the smell of Christ, the smell of that victory, drifts from me. And that smell is polarizing. To some people, it smells like flowers on a spring day. But to others, it smells like the stench of a rotting corpse. Verse 15. For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To one, a fragrance from death to death. To the other, a fragrance from life to life. Who is sufficient for these things? For we are not like so many peddlers of God's word, but as men of sincerity, as commissioned by God, in the sight of God, we speak in Christ. So do we see what he's saying about authentic Christian ministry? It's about preaching the gospel of Christ faithfully, with sincerity, wherever the Lord Jesus might lead us in the world. It's to speak the good news about Jesus, and that can happen from the lectern here in church, in your small group, and it can happen over coffee in the office or at the school gate or the garden fence or anywhere else in the world. We speak in Christ, of Christ and his gospel. We don't profit from doing so. We simply do it faithfully in the sight of God. That's our responsibility. 
But what's not our responsibility is the results of that preaching. We can expect the results to be varied, and we can expect them here, Paul says, to be extreme. On the one hand, authentic Christian ministry will be fruitful. It's Christ's triumphal procession. Some will hear that gospel and respond positively. It will smell sweet to them. They will rejoice in his victory. They will submit to him as their king. But to others, to those who are determined to reject him as their king, well, the gospel of Christ will only remind them of their coming death and judgment. It will stink to them. As Christ's gospel is proclaimed, it will offend their nostrils. They will hate it, they will reject it, and they will reject you as its messenger. Now, Paul's opponents in Corinth, they couldn't understand that at all. They felt that any message from God must be loved by people. That if people hated it, well, you were doing it wrong. And so what they did was change their message and their ministry accordingly. But faithful servants of the gospel speak of Christ as Lord, and they call people to repent and bow the knee before him as their king, and that gets you rejection. They will treat you as if you stink, because you do. Because you remind them of the death that awaits all who rebel against Jesus as their king. And I know that some of you here tonight have had just that rejection. And we say with Paul, don't we, that this is just a really tough ask. You know, no one wants to be treated like that. I certainly don't. No wonder Paul says, who is sufficient for these things? Who can cope with this? No wonder the Corinthians were tempted by a form of Christianity that offered none of that trouble. But Paul says, look, this is the real deal. Authentic Christian ministry is Christ faithfully preached everywhere you go, and it's the smell of life and the smell of death. We are to smell of Christ. And that will get us the same reactions that Christ got when he lived in this world. That's the first distinguishing mark. Now on to the second, chapter 3, verse 1 to 3. Now in these verses here, Paul's focus is on how to authenticate the messenger. He said said something already on this, verse 17, um, that authentic messengers, they don't peddle God's word for profit. They're not in it for the money. That's what the super apostles were in it for. They made money out of their celebrity speaking engagements with all their flowery rhetoric. But there was something else that these super apostles, that they had in their favor, and that was sponsorship, patronage. So chapter 3, verse 1. Are we beginning to commend ourselves again? Or do we need, as some do, letters of recommendation to you or from you? See, Paul's opponents, they'd come to the Corinthians uh, with big-name sponsors. 
They're around today. They'd have uh, the books on the Christian bestseller list, uh, seven spiritual keys to living your best life now, how to build a successful megachurch in five easy steps. And on the back covers, they would have the most popular celebrity Christians writing glowing reviews. You know, this changed my life, five stars. Listen to this man. He knows what he's talking about, stuff like that. This practice of letters of recommendation, it was something borrowed from the wider um, community, wider culture. You got ahead in society in Corinth if you had a wealthy sponsor who put your name forwards, who, who, who helped you to get onto these big public engagements. The name attached to yours gave you credibility. That can actually still be true in the church today. You can make a name for yourself. Who you know matters. We still have celebrity pastors, whom other celebrity pastors of other uh, famous Christians promote. And it's not bad to recommend someone. You know, we should encourage people to go to good churches and to listen to good uh, faithful preachers. But that's not Paul's point here. His point is that we shouldn't be naive in thinking that high-profile recommendation guarantees authenticity. Just someone saying that that person or that church is great doesn't make it so. They had these letters of recommendation, but Paul says, no, in fact, you should look for a different kind of letter. A letter written upon the heart. Listen to verse 2. You yourselves are our letter of recommendation, written on our hearts to be known and read by all. Paul says to look to the heart for recommendation. And first he says, look, look at my own heart. Verse 2, he says, look, you want a letter of recommendation from me? Well, look at my heart. Look how I have loved you. Your conversion, your growth in the Lord, it brought me such joy. Your suffering, your struggle with sin, it brings me such pain. You can spot the authentic Christian minister by the love that he has for his people, the people under his care. They're scored deeply in his heart. He treasures them. He loves them. Look at the minister's heart. That's first. But second, Paul now says in verse 3, look, you want a letter of recommendation for my ministry? Well, look at your own hearts. Verse 3, and you show that you are a letter from Christ delivered by us, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. Paul's got plenty of evidence to commend both him and his ministry to the Corinthians, and it's the evidence of their own transformed hearts. They are changed Back in 1 Corinthians, in chapter 6, Paul would say this of this church. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ 
and by the Spirit of our God. Corinthians, says Paul, do you not remember what you used to be like? And then we came and we spoke the gospel of Christ to you. We proclaimed Christ as Lord to you and you believed God's words. And it was if, in that moment, the spirit of the living God wrote his law upon your hearts and your lives were utterly turned around. Do you not remember? Think about what happened to you. Think about how it happened, how you were changed. Will you now abandon the ministry that achieved that? Here's our second mark of authenticity. Authentic, authentic Christian ministry is the Spirit's work on the heart. First of all, it's the love that the Spirit gives to the one proclaiming the gospel for those that they're serving. And second, it is the astonishing transformation worked in the heart of a believer. Simple gospel teaching from God's Word transforms the heart by the power of the Spirit. Now here's a question. Does that mark of authenticity evidence itself here at Chalmers? Do we see people as they hear the gospel, the word of God simply explained, do we see their hearts change? Do people move from hating Jesus or being indifferent to Jesus to loving Jesus more and more? Do we see people desire to turn from their sin and obey him? Do they seek to serve him and others instead of serving themselves as they used to? Now I think we do see that. We had two people on stage in whom we can say, we've seen this change in your hearts over the last couple of years. And we could point to many people in the room for whom that is so, that you have been transformed as the word of God has been taught to you, as the gospel has been explained, that God has changed your hearts. We should be, I think we should genuinely be encouraged that we do see this happening among us. But I think also that we do need to take some warning. We don't tend to have letters of recommendation anymore. But we might look to other things to commend us as authentic. In fact, there are lots of other things that we could look to to give us credibility in the eyes of others or even in our own eyes. There's a few examples. What about the numbers that we have in the church we might feel that that makes us credible as a faithful church. How about the reputation of our training program? Somehow that shows that we're doing it right, doesn't it? Perhaps the amount of mission partners that we support. We might think that that's what commends us as a gospel church. Or how about this one? The fantastic church building that we're about to get our hands on. It's going to be really great. It's going to be a great base for gospel work. But it will tempt us to find our credibility there. To feel that, that, well, now we're on track. Because we'll look much more like a successful church, won't we? Just look around the room here. We can see that it will look much more successful 
The truth is that good as all those things are, none of them make us authentic. A church can have a thousand members, a reputation for training, supporting lots of mission partners with a glorious building, and it can be counterfeit. What will make us an authentic Christian church is that we see people's hearts being changed by the Spirit as the gospel is faithfully taught. That's authentic Christian ministry, the work of the Spirit of God in the heart through God's Word. That's Mark number two. Now, Paul, in our final few verses, he wants to make the final mark of authenticity clear to us. Verses 4 to 6. Let me read. Such is the confidence that we have through Christ towards God. Not that we're sufficient in ourselves to claim anything as coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God, who has made us competent to be ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit, For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. So here in these verses, Paul answers the question that he asked back in chapter 2, verse 16. Who is sufficient for these things? And what's the answer? None of us. None of us are sufficient for these things. And here I think we see that third mark of authentic Christian ministry. Those who are genuinely serving the Lord... They don't take credit for any of the results. Instead, they admit that if they achieve anything of value in God's sight, anything at all, then it is ultimately down to God and not to us. Paul's confidence to serve God is not in his own giftings and abilities. It's not in his godly character. It's not in his work ethic. He doesn't find his confidence in what other people say about him. Now his confidence is found only in Christ. If we have any competence at all to serve God in this new covenant ministry that we've been given, if there are any positive results from that ministry, they come not from ourselves but from God alone. It is Christ's gospel that is preached and has the power to save. It is the Spirit's work in the heart that brings about the transformation that gives new life. And it is all done in the strength that God provides and according to his divine plan. It's God's plan in God's power. And so the authentic Christian minister, and that's all of us who want to speak about Jesus to others, well, we claim no credit for ourselves, do we? We know that we can't do it. We confess that we are just captives in Christ's victory march through the world. That he gets all the glory. Now Paul's going to speak more about this in the next few chapters. These verses are really just the introduction to a new section. He'll explain more about what this new covenant ministry is, why it's better than the old. Show us more of how the Word and the Spirit go to work in our hearts. And it'll teach us how God gets all the glory by working through weak people like us. So more of that next time. But what have we learned tonight? 
Well, we've begun to learn, I hope, that we can spot the real deal from the counterfeit. That there are marks of authentic Christian ministry. Number one, that it's Christ faithfully preached by those who serve him. The smell of life and death in the world. Two, that it's the Spirit's work in the heart, both in the messenger and in those who respond to the message. And three, it's a recognition that it's done in God's power, God's plan. Who is sufficient for these things? Not me and not you. Not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything as coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God's. And therefore, all the glory goes to him. Let's pray together. Our Father, we thank you, first of all, that there is a gospel, that the Lord Jesus Christ died for our sins, to offer us forgiveness, that he rose to new life, having conquered death and the evil one and that he grants new life to all who trust in him. We thank you for this gospel that has the power to save us. And we thank you too, Lord God, that you have called us to share that gospel with the world. And yet, Lord, as we think about that, we know that we can't do it. We're not sufficient. We can't cope. We're not, we've not got the strength. We haven't got the wisdom. And yet, Lord God, you have given us of your spirit that we might serve you. And so, Lord God, we pray that you would help us as we seek to speak of Jesus, uh, even uh, after the service tonight and tomorrow morning as we go into school or into work or into university. Help us to speak of the Lord Jesus Christ, that he is Lord. And Lord, would you work by your Spirit in the hearts of those who hear. Our Father, too, we've heard tonight that some will reject that message, that it will be like death to them. And so, Lord God, we pray that you'd help us to trust you if that's the response that we get. And we pray, Lord God, above all, that as we serve you with your word, as we speak of the Lord Jesus, that you would gain all the glory. In his name we pray. Amen.